we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Good afternoon. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Thompson. I'm the Chief Executive Officer at the Covenant Children's Hospital in Texas. And I'm so pleased to join you today um, and, and talk about this very interesting topic of children and COVID-19. Um, it's my pleasure um, to have Dr. Rick Lampy today. He's going to join us and um, I'll introduce him in just a moment. So um, as a reminder, the information provided during this event is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions around the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit our website at providence.org for medical updates. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and any questions or medical advice discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. For any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. So it's my pleasure today to be joined by Dr. Richard Lampy. Um, he is a pediatric infectious disease specialist. He's worked at Covenant Children's for over 25 years. Um, I had the distinct privilege of being trained um, under Dr. Lampy and one of my mentors and um, just a very, very, very good pediatrician um, who is, is very knowledgeable. So Dr. Lampy, thank you so much for joining us today and um, for talking to us about this very interesting and timely topic. Thank you. My privilege to be doing this with you, Dr. Thompson. So I'm going to start off with just a really easy question, which is a lot of people are like, what is a pediatric infectious disease specialist? So just tell me a little bit about, you know, what it is that you do in your role as a pediatric infectious disease specialist. Yes. No, thank you. Well, first of all, uh, after medical school, you train as a pediatrician. Right now, that's for three years. And then it's a fellowship training in pediatric infectious disease is at present three years. So uh, a person who accomplishes that successfully is board certified not only in pediatrics, but also in pediatric infectious disease. That means that they have seen meningitis and pneumonia and complicated uh, infections of a bacterial viral nature, often in uh, children who are normal initially, and then sometimes in children who have cancer and are, who are immunocompromised or who have immune deficiencies. Uh, it's been my privilege to do this for uh, nearly 50 years. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to just jump right in. I know um, the, the topic that's you know very much on everyone's you know, mind here is COVID-19. So I just want to talk about, you know, at the beginning, true that children are the least susceptible to COVID-19? And if so, why do you think that is? You are correct. They, uh, they can catch it, but fortunately, the younger age groups do not have as severe a disease as adults. We don't exactly understand fully why that is, but it is clearly uh, the case. Uh, we are beginning to learn about this new pandemic uh, virus uh, in the past six months. And uh, uh, 
it, so it is an evolving story. I think that children, as a rule, have strong immune systems, and I think that may be part of it, whereas uh, older individuals have uh, less good immune systems or have other medical conditions that may lead them to be more susceptible. Yeah, and that's been our experience um, here at the Children's Hospital as well, is while we've certainly seen a lot of children who have tested positive for COVID-19, um, we've had a small group of, of children that have actually been admitted to the hospital. And many of those kids were kids who had what we call comorbid conditions. So, you know, asthma or heart conditions, different things like this that made them, you know, it seemed more susceptible. But, but that has certainly been something that has been part of our experience as well. That's right. And as I recall, they also may have acquired that infection or been exposed to it in the community or from one of their family members. Yeah, I was reading an article um, just the uh, last couple of days. It was talking about they really feel like that the majority of kids who actually um, can, you know, have symptoms of COVID-19 likely got it from an adult um, that they were you know, exposed to. So what about parents? What about parents that are out there and they're worried that their child has been exposed to COVID-19? What is it that you tell them to do? So uh, it depends on the nature of the exposure, but I think it's natural for parents to be worried. Uh, you'd be worried about your child, whether they're a month old, 18 months old, eight years old, or 18 years old. Uh, if you feel that they've been exposed, what we know is that from the time of exposure to the time of symptoms, it can be as short as five days, but often a little bit longer, seven or 10 days. It doesn't, if one is going to test to see if they've acquired it, if they're exposed, it doesn't do much good to test it until after five days of exposure, uh, provided you can get a reliable test that gives you the answer back quickly. Uh, it's so there's a, if you will, incubation period. If they're exposed right now, if it's a significant exposure and it's known, probably better to isolate and quarantine and not be around other people. Yep, I agree with that. Um, so talk to me about symptoms. So we've read about a bunch of symptoms. I know that they've been evolving, but talk to me about the difference, um, or is there a difference between the symptoms for kids and adults with COVID-19? Yeah, so the children sometimes can be totally asymptomatic. So I don't think they, they may not show the same symptoms, but then they show the typical ones, the ones that do have symptoms, cough, fever, respiratory. Children, it appears, have more GI symptoms, vomiting, diarrhea with it as well. The, um, as we learn more about it, the ones that worry patients, that worry uh, uh, doctors, are ones where there's high fever and a red rash or high fever and just looking really sick. Those people need to be seen immediately. Uh, but that fortunately is a very, very small percent of all the infections that happen in children. But it's the one that we hear about on television as uh, much more often. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's that multi-system inflammatory syndrome that they're seeing with this, similar, I think, to Kawasaki's um, disease um, that, we, that we learned about. But that, that is exactly the, the symptoms that we worry about. And if you're a parent and your child you feel like has been exposed and is having those symptoms, um, make sure that you follow up with your primary care physician or at, or at a healthcare facility. Um, so talk to me about kids who have a predisposition. Are there kids that have certain you know, disease types and 
you know, other things like this that make them where they have, you know, a higher um, incidence of either getting COVID or having symptoms from COVID? Yeah. Well, the uh, in this case, since it affects the children's lungs, those children who already have lung disease, and you had previously mentioned asthma, that a common lung condition in children, or other serious lung conditions, uh, cystic fibrosis or some chronic uh, lung infection, they are more susceptible. Uh, if some premature infants who have been uh, in a neonatal intensive care unit for weeks to months and then are on oxygen at home may be more susceptible as well. That would be one group just because of their uh, underlying lung disease. Uh, the other group that appears to be at risk would be children who have uh, who are receiving chemotherapy for treatment of cancers, leukemia or uh, solid tumors. They uh, would be at risk, just like they're at risk for bacterial infections. They would also be at risk for certain virus infections, and COVID is one of those viruses that they would be susceptible to. Yeah, I, I agree with those. And, um, you know, really, that's the same kids that we worry about that when it's flu season. And, you know, some of those are the same kids that we worry about in RSV season. So other, other things that affect children. Um, those are always the kids that were, you know, the most worried about with any respiratory um, illness are kids that have, you know, underlying respiratory issues, but also kids who, you know, have a weakened immune system, um, you know, because of that. So I want to go back just a little bit to this multi-system inflammatory um, syndrome. And so we've talked about, you know, the things that parents, you know, need to watch for. Um, but I've been asked a lot of questions about, you know, specifically, are there vaccines for this syndrome? or, you know, interact with that question? So at the present time, just uh, uh, as of uh, August the 3rd, 2020, no vaccines for adults or children, although those studies in adults are ongoing as we speak. And we certainly hope we'll have some uh, near the end of this year or hopefully sometime during 2021. Uh, I think uh, from that standpoint, uh, as you were mentioning RSV and influenza, there are some things that we can do right now that can help us help children. And that is the uh, flu vaccine for all people above the age of six months is absolutely indicated in the United States for this year because we don't want to have influenza on top of uh, covid in the same patient. So preventing, and the best way we can prevent influenza right now is with a vaccine, as well as washing our hands and all the things we're doing to prevent COVID, social distancing and masks. I agree with that. And actually we are gonna be hosting another Facebook Live event where we're gonna be specifically talking about immunizations, not, the immuni you know, not an immunization for COVID, although we hope that one of those comes, but the importance of during this time of making sure that you're getting um, your, your children vaccinated against other diseases. So look for that um, as well. So what are the special kind of precautions that healthcare providers are taking around children with COVID? So uh, I just finished this morning doing rounds on some patients, wash my hands, wearing a mask. All the nurses, everybody in the hospital are wearing masks, washing their hands in between patients. If they're hospitalized, we do the same thing in the clinic. It is safe to visit your providers in a clinic. They're taking appropriate precautions of 
uh, hand washing, masks of all the people in the offices. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, I have a, I'm blessed with an 18 month old uh, grandson. He needs his routine immunizations. We want him to get those. He lives in a different city in Texas. Important to maintain those healthcare and those routine immunizations. We don't want to have an outbreak of measles or whooping cough six months from now that uh, we just don't want to deal with that. We, we can prevent that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, we're doing the same you know, type of precautions, obviously, here in the hospital where we have everyone wearing appropriate personal protective equipment with masks and face shields um, and, and things like this. And then I just remind people as well that we're still encouraging. Um, obviously, people think about that whenever they come into healthcare establishments. But we need to remember that those things that you talked about, masking, social distancing, washing the hands, um, all of those things are important, um, not just in a healthcare you know, setting, but um, you know, in, in all kinds of settings. Um, and so we did have a question here about, and you kind of address that, it, you know, that, that in your opinion, for sure people should still take their kids to the pediatrician, have regular checkups, regular vaccines. This is not a time um, to keep your kids at home. So any other thing that you would interact with on that? No, I think that is important. I, I saw a patient in your hospital yesterday. Uh, again, mask, social isolation, uh, social distancing. Um, it is a safe place, even in the neonatal intensive care unit. People are particularly careful with hand washing, masks, and all of those uh, susceptible babies. Uh, very important to do that. Uh, it, it is important for routine care in the midst of this pandemic. We will get through this, but we don't want to, uh, uh, we, we want to maintain a good medical home and access to common conditions as well. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, me too. I, I agree. So now it's August and we're about to, there's probably a lot of folks who are watching that have school-aged children. So interact with uh, the, the previous time when we did this Facebook Live, it was the beginning of summer. And so we were talking about special precautions, you know, kind of during the summer began, but now we're looking at back to school. And so interact um, just a bit with, you know, what things do people need to think of as we enter back into this, to this, some, some kids for sure going back to school. Yeah, that, that is an excellent one. I think one has to individualize it into the, uh, area in which they live, be it California, Washington, Texas, wherever in the United States. Things have even changed from June to August in the United States. Uh, the And it it's reflects, I think, the age of the children and the importance of them attending school. It is, it is going to be a decision of parents, mm -hmm. children who are old enough to make those decisions, such as teenagers, uh, and the school district, I expect that those schools will be social distancing. They will be asking and requiring masks on children who should wear them if they're old enough to do that. And there will be uh, distancing and, and classes that will have access to plenty of hand washing. There may be mixtures of attending school where it, some is online, some is visits, alternate days. I think each city and each uh, area that uh, is kind of have to be an individual decision. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, we have a grandson who's in daycare. He's going to go to that. The other children depends on their school district and the infection rates in the respective cities. 
uh, they may uh, do some uh, mixture of uh, online learning, but it's important. The American Academy of Pediatrics, everybody thinks children should be in school, not only for learning, but also for the socialization and developing some of those other skills that they can only learn in schools. Yeah, I echo that. I'm very glad that you brought up the point about the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's been something that, that we've talked a lot about is, um, is you know, the other benefits um, of, of kids being in school. I, like you, I have children and um, I have, you know, the privilege of, of being on the, the, they call it the back to school committee um, at our school and just talking about the different things that we want to do um, to make a safe place. And it's all the things that you have mentioned. It is making sure that we're wearing, you know, that, that the children who are old enough um, can wear masks. One of the suggestions that we have given is I do sometimes like the, um, the we call them the gator masks, which are uh, <laughs> continuous around your neck. I have an 11 year old and that's very helpful, but um, he doesn't lose it. Um, so when I put it on him in the morning, um, that mask uh, stays on and he can just pull it up um, and he, he's not able to, you know, to lose that. And in fact, we are, as a hospital, we're giving masks to all of the schools here um, in Lubbock to provide for the kids just because we really believe in that masking um, component of it. And the other thing that we've really emphasized is the, the same things you've talked about. What are ways that we can social distance, making sure that we wash um, the hands. But then we've also talked a lot about teacher safety and making sure that those teachers feel um, that, you know, they also need to be wearing masks. There are certain, you know, of those adults, uh, you know, teachers that we have encouraged because of the pre-existing conditions, you know, even to wear a more specialized mask um, when they're with kids. Um, we've also laughed in the Thompson household. We are, we're doing a lot of air hugs as we call it. And uh, giving instead of, instead of high fives, doing yes. uh, bumps and, and, and just figuring other ways that we can um, help our kids feel loved, but you know, that doesn't require as much, you know, the, you know, the personal touch and being in being each other's space and, you know, trying to make that fun. So we really, we really talked about that with, with the teachers. So I do want to talk for just a sec about this psychological effects. I both want to talk about kind of a twofold question. So I'll start with what do you think are the psychological effects that this entire thing has had on our kids as we have faced this pandemic? I think, um, when we talk to children, we have to know their developmental stage. For instance, the concerns of a teenager are different than the concerns of a child in the first and second grade. So addressing those from the parent's standpoint, I think of how parents handle it too. Uh, you know, we, <clears throat> this is an opportunity, if we can, to teach resiliency. Mm -hmm. We will get through this. We should pay attention to uh, people, uh, to, to doctors and scientists and pay attention to things that we believe and we know are going to protect us uh, and then convey that in the appropriate terms to children according to their age and developmental age. But, you know, teenagers, uh, those are stressful years. There already is an underlying anxiety and depression that uh, is there and the uh, pandemic may have contributed to that. So I think addressing it and uh, keeping a close eye on children uh, and being open and talking about it. Uh, we, uh, we used to say, you know, too much, uh, screen time is bad, but now a lot of, excuse me, a lot of screen time is, is learning as well. <laughs> so you have to find that right balance. Um, I, I think 
this is an opportunity to teach resilience, but to do that, the parents have to have resilience and their uh, <coughs> parents and other relatives and older children have to model that as well. I, I agree with that. And it's been interesting, you know, my own children are, you know, different ages. And I, I think you're, you're right on this age appropriate, you know, discussions about, you know, COVID. I have an 11 year old and I really feel like he ends up having a lot of questions. And I would actually say that he is very fearful. And so we've had to have a lot of questions about, um, you know, his fear of going back to school. He also, interestingly, though, I'll get to this part of the question in a minute, but man, um, I don't know that he has always loved school. And he has asked me more in the last few months when it is that that he can go back to school and, and see his friends. And so, you know, that my 11 year old is kind of in this place where he very much misses his friends and um, but is scared of the disease. And so having to have a lot of conversations with him um, about that. On the other hand, I have an 18 year old. And um, I say that in many of the 18 year olds, and it actually, if you look at the data for, you know, right now that you know, kind of 18 to 29 is really the area where we're seeing large you know, numbers of, of outbreaks. And I mean, my son would be in this category of, he needs to have more fear um, of, you know, of the COVID-19. And so I do think that in sometimes in those older kids, um, that's consistent with their development as well is um, that they don't have a lot of fear. And so really having to you know, talk with him, we have had to try to make those conversations around, I want you to think about your grandma and I want you to think about adults that you'll come into contact with and you choosing to do things like masking and social distancing and washing your hands. Um, I want you to see that as a service to you know, the, the people that you go around. So I agree with you, you really have to be you really have to think about, you know, what what age and, and specifically how your kids are, are interacting with the with COVID-19. So talk to me also about, you know, kind of the psychological effects. Um, you know, I, I had a senior this year. And so when we talk about, you know, all of the things, I think we also have to recognize kids have lost things. I mean, I, I had a senior who didn't get to go back to school after March, had a you know, they, they didn't get to have prom, all the things that you, you know, think about, you know, forever. Um, and how we had to do an outside graduation, you know, much later, you know, than we were anticipating. And so, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, even some of the loss and stuff that kids have made and maybe what your suggestion would be about how to talk with them about that. And also, if you think that getting them back into school, um, at least even if it's online school, you know, will help some of those things. Yes, thank you. Like you, two of our grandchildren graduated from high school this year, neither of which uh, uh, did it in the usual fashion. Uh, and so that that is a loss. Uh, getting them, I, I think, addressing it, I think, as you pointed out with your uh, uh, son who uh, graduated high school and wearing the mask, you know, teenagers feel they're uh, immortal. They can't be hurt. But yet responsibility towards their teachers or if they're going to college or their other relatives, be they older, wearing masks is a responsible thing to prevent it from uh, them. Uh, that is, I think, a, a good start. Uh, the the middle-aged children are, are anxious to meet their friends, as are the ones in high school. It... Uh, this experience, they, they probably don't want to hear this, but this experience is going to teach them uh, that they can deal with uh, uh, some challenges. Uh, and I think it will, 
it has the potential and it should help them be resilient and to be able to handle challenges that are unexpected. You know, next week is unexpected in the medical field with with this, but uh, we we have the resources to handle it. Um, I think that there can be online and there, people can talk to counselors. Uh, you can look at resources that are available in your community uh, as, of how to deal with some of the isolation. Uh, it, it, it certainly has helped me to have FaceTime with some grandchildren. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And I also I, I also laughed at the creativity um, of some of these uh, students on how it is that they're, you know, they're doing some things. We have had we have had some drive by graduation parties where uh, people stand out in their front yards and folks in their cars drive by. They decorate the cars. They um, and that's actually how we did um the seniors at our school every year have an end of school parade where all of the kids, you know, come by. And so they just spread those kids way out and all these people decorated their cars. And so I do think that it has been interesting to watch people rise to the occasion um, and be able to celebrate some things and do some things, you know. Um, okay. Let me just ask, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dr. Lane. I was gonna share this with you. So the new medical students have begun, the new first year mm -hmm. medical students. And of course they can't be welcomed in an auditorium and all those things. So last Friday, they drove by in cars and received black bags, white coats, all the information, masks. Yeah. To get them oriented to uh, their first today being one of their first days uh, in medical school here at Texas Tech. So, uh, yes, both in, in leaving and celebrating and then uh, helping people into a new situation. As some of these recent graduates go to college, it's going to be different, but. Uh, there, there will be strategies that welcome them uh, that all of their classmates will it will uh, participate in as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's been great. Well, Dr. Lincoln, I want to thank you for joining me. I just want to end with kind of one last question. Is there anything else that you would want to tell us that's just, you know, on your heart about, you know, specialized children's care during this pandemic? Yeah. So I think, you know, just like teachers love children and want to do what's right for them, uh, so do doctors, who particularly pediatricians. And so I think that uh, we owe it to do our best, as teachers do, and at the same time, parents uh, who are responsible for their children uh, want to help those children accomplish that, both health and learning. And I think that partnership is going to be uh, real important. Uh, you know, tr trust the people that you uh, believe in, uh, be it clergy, doctors, teachers, uh, there's a lot of people out there who want to do what's right for people and children in particular. I agree. I, I, I echo that. And if you're a parent um, or a teacher, you know, anyone who's listening to this, you know, today, my encouragement is make sure that you get information. So get information from your pediatrician, um, from a family doctor. Um, make sure that, um, you know, you stay educated. I always say, you know, let's don't always just look at the general generic internet, you know, for information that, you know, really look at reputable sites for, you know, information about COVID, but always, always um, want to encourage you to reach out to your physician and ask questions. I've had a ton of my friends um, who've said, I'm, I'm sure you're sick of talking about COVID, but will you sit down and talk with us because, you know, we have fears about this. And I, I can honestly tell you, I'm not sick of that just because I feel like that that's what our training um, has afforded us. So Dr. Lanky, thank you so much.
for joining us today. It's always great uh, to see you. And um, if, again, if you're out there and you have more questions about COVID, please uh, go to our website or, or try to get in touch with one of your primary care physicians in the region. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Thompson. Thank you.